Pastor Xavier Ruth and a glimpse of God. Jesus told Philip, He that has seen me has seen what? The Father. John 14, 9. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 10, 30. So if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. You don't look to Buddha, not to Muhammad, not to the Virgin Mary, not to a saint, but to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In America, you can follow Buddha or Mohammed. You could attend a synagogue or a cathedral. That's because our nation was founded on the basis of freedom of religion. But does that freedom lead to true spiritual freedom? Right now, Pastor Xavier helps answer that question in his study from the book of Colossians, Jesus, Creator and Sustainer of All. Let's listen. In Colossians, we have one of the richest passages in Scripture as a proof text for the divinity and the deity of Jesus Christ. He is presented as a cosmic Christ, the Creator. His humanity will be dealt with more specific in verses 18 to 23 along with His work. And they, all, they both point to each other, but here we have the concentration of His uh, divinity and deity. It is interesting that people will always acknowledge Jesus to be a good man, even a good teacher, even go as far as say He's a prophet. But they will sternly oppose that He is God. Now, the truth of the matter is that if he's not God, then he can't be a good man. He certainly can't be a good teacher, and he certainly can't be a prophet. The only thing he can be is the biggest liar that's ever existed. You can't have it both ways. Now, there are two basic areas of attack regarding the person of Jesus Christ always. And the first is in his humanity, saying that he was not real man. He did not occupy a body. This is what the attack here in Colossae was. Removing the link between God and man that makes the union possible. The Gnostics, remember, taught that matter was evil and therefore God was spirit and so the two couldn't be one. The Docetists, Gnostics, they, from which the word comes to seem, say that it seemed like he had a body and when he walked on the sands he didn't have footprints. And then the Serinthian Gnostics uh, said that the anointing of God as deity came upon him, the baptism, and then left him prior to the death on the cross. So you have a mere man dying on the cross. How interesting. How convenient. The first epistle of John tells us that this is the spirit of Antichrist in 1 John. He deals with the humanity of Jesus. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him. The word of life. 1 John 2.22 tells us that's the spirit of Antichrist. It denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is coming in the flesh. Remember, it is believed to be the root of Gnosticism here. It didn't develop to the second century, but here's the seeds. They said that eons or emanations, remember, went out from God, and one of them became so distant from God that that one was the responsible for the creating of matter, not God. Therefore, God could not occupy matter because spirit is good and holy and matter is evil and God cannot be one. Interesting logic and reasoning. Therefore, Jesus could not have been God, but one of the many emanations or eons destroying the doctrine of atonement and the link of man to God and God to man. How convenient. And so Paul writes and makes emphasis throughout the epistle regarding the deity of Jesus Christ, but because he's talking about the deity of Jesus Christ, he also has to talk about the humanity of Jesus Christ. You can't have one without the other. Paul said that he 
It was the seed of the woman prophesied in Genesis 3.15. In the fullness of time, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law. Galatians 4.4. 4. John writes regarding Jesus Christ, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. Revelation 22.13. From Genesis to Revelation, the message is Jesus. He is the first. He's the end. He is everything. And so Paul the Apostle reveals the identity of the person of Jesus to be fully divine, being endowed with the attributes of deity from three vantage points in these verses. Let me read them for you. 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him are all things, were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So here's the three vantage points by which Paul declares the full divine aspect of Jesus plus his deity. First, the identity of Jesus in relationship to God. You get that in the first portion of verse 15. Secondly, the identity of Jesus in relationship to creation. The rest of 15 and all of 16. And then you have the identity of Jesus in relationship to to matter in verse 17. Let's begin here with the first. The identity of Jesus in relationship to God. Beginning of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now notice first that Paul identifies Jesus by using the personal pronoun, he. Jesus was a real person, one who lived and walked on the earth for a set time. His birth is recorded for us by Matthew and Luke in detail. Jesus manifested all the qualities of human being. He had a human body. The Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. He ate. He slept. He tired. He cried. He bled. He died. He was man. Fully man. Now notice, secondly, that Paul identifies Jesus Christ by his comparison to God. Paul declares that God is invisible. Throughout the Old Testament, you are very aware that God spoke through dreams, visions, theophonic appearances, fire, the cloud, some manifestation, although that he was there. Many of those are called Christophanies, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. You have them in Exodus, Numbers, throughout. Moses saw God, it says, in Exodus 24.10. What does that mean? He saw theophany, some manifestation, whether it be fire, the burning bush, cloud, but he didn't see God. Ezekiel saw visions of God, and every time he fell on his face, and God says, get up on your feet. Abraham conversed with God as he appeared in an angel in Genesis 19, along with two other ones. The author to the book of Hebrews says, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27. I think it is safe to say that God is invisible. <laughs> no man has ever seen God. No man can see God. Paul declared that Jesus is the image of the invisible God all of a sudden. Something has changed in history. The word image means derived likeness and is used for the head of a stamp or the reflection of a mirror. Now, when you get in front of the mirror, you don't say, man, who is that? You know exactly who it is. You see, the word conveys three basic things. 
resemblance or likeness, as we've made a reference to it. Jesus told Philip, he that has seen me has seen what? The Father, John 14, 9. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30. Paul says that we have the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. You don't look to Buddha, not to Muhammad, not to the Virgin Mary, not to a saint, but to Jesus Christ. This leaves no room for reminations, no in-betweens, no intermediate angels. Paul is dumping a bucket of cold water on this false teaching. Not only resemblance or likeness, but also representation. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person in Hebrew 1.3. And the word image, it's synonymous with this one, but it's different and it's overlapping. It means a seal or die which makes an impression and bears the image that produces. You ever do leather work? You get one of those stencils and you hammer it? This is the word. The word brightness means the reflection or the outshining. Even as the brightness of the sun comes from the sun, yet distinct from the sun. In the same way, the Son from the Father. So resemblance or likeness, representation, but one more. Revelation with physical presence. That's what it means. God was invisible, now he's visible. Jesus was once invisible in his preexistence before the incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. But Jesus became visible for all to see the image of God, the Son of His love, according to His own words in verse 13 of Colossians 1. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made Himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and becoming in the likeness, or coming in the likeness of men, Philippians 2, 6 and 7. And you know the word being there is an antecedent condition in the Greek. And it means he was God before he came. He was God when he was here. And when he left, he was God. And he's still God. What else can you be? The only thing that changed was he was invisible like the Father for a time. He became visible to represent the Father for a time. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, the God-man, making intercession for you and I. He bears the mark on his body even today. You have the man, Christ Jesus, making an intercession for you. That's awesome. Paul is ascribing deity to Jesus, the God-man. The late Dr. Clarence C. McCarthy, who had an expert knowledge of history of Napoleon Bonaparte, and who wrote remarkable biographies of renowned Frenchmen and everything else, and he gives the most interesting comparison between Napoleon and the Lord Jesus Christ in one volume. Listen. The two characters of history about whom more books have been written and more words spoken than others are Napoleon and Jesus Christ. But what a contrast between the two men who more than all others have engrossed the mind of men. Napoleon shed rivers of blood upon which to float his ambitions. The only blood the other shed was his own, which he poured out upon the cross for the redemption of mankind. 
Dr. McCarthy then proceeds to describe the accomplishments of the two, one leaving behind him a ghastly trail of death, the other leaving behind him a, a trail of mercy and compassion and life. There are two men, he says, who have had more words written about them, more opinions uttered concerning them than any other person. Some men are fascinated by the character of Napoleon, others with the person of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, that Napoleon himself was drawn to the greater than he is proven by the following generally accepted testimony he gave of Christ. This is Napoleon's testimony of Christ, okay? I know men, and I tell you, Jesus is not a man. He commands us to believe and gives no other reason than his awesome words, I am God. Philosophers try to solve the mysteries of the universe by their empty dissertations. Fools, they are like the infant that cries to have the moon as a plaything. Christ never hesitates. He speaks with authority. His religion is a mystery, but it subsists to its own force. He seeks and absolute requires the love of men and most difficult thing in the world to claim. Alexander, Caesar, Hannibal conquered the world, but they had no friends. I founded my empire upon what? Force. Jesus founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions would die for him. What an abyss between my misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ, who has proclaimed love adorned and which extending all over the earth. Is this death? I tell you, the death of Jesus is the death of a God. I tell you, Jesus Christ is God. No other man born of woman has gathered around his claims and character such voluminous literature as Jesus Christ. John says, the world itself cannot contain all the books that should be written about his accomplishments in John 21, 24, and 25. Amazing statement. The Father calls Jesus God. Do you know that in Hebrews 1.8? Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father is revealed and manifested only in the Son. Do you realize that? Who is in the bosom of the Father, John 1.18? No one can reveal this Father except for the Son. For that reason, Jesus Christ made the most outlandish statement when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. In that one statement, he destroyed every philosophy, every religion, every ism of the world. Now that's radical. People say, we're narrow-minded. One way, one truth, one life. He took on a body for the visibility of man to veil God's glory and that would destroy us if we looked upon him, even as Moses could not look upon it. Representing both the perfect picture of God, the visible form of the invisible God, and the perfect picture of man before the fall. And he was made in the image of God, the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The last Adam. One day Jesus was a sister of Philippi. You know the story in Matthew 16. And he took his disciples there because there were all the gods of Caesars and all the pagan gods, the, Gerp, the god Pan from pantheism supposedly was born in one of those caves. He says, who do men say that I am? He says, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. He says, but who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed thou art Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Wow. A revelation from God. Who reveals the Father? Jesus Christ. The great mistake of men is to think that their intellectual knowledge is sufficient to get them to heaven because they believe in God. 
God cannot be found out. He's revealed. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. If men by wisdom could find God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He is revealed by Jesus Christ. All things in the Old Testament were shadows of Jesus Christ to come. He is the very image. As a matter of fact, Colossians here, chapter 2, verse 17 says, which are shadows and things to come, but the substance is of what? Christ. Don't get caught up with ritual, with all these little things. Christ is the ultimate. He is it. Isaiah, as a matter of fact, saw God in his throne high and lifted up in Isaiah 6. And John gives us the interpretation in John 12, 47. You know what he says? He says, Isaiah saw Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's a great commentary. The identity of Jesus in relationship to God is that he is the visible form of the invisible God. No less. Secondly, notice the end of verse 15, the rest of it, and verse 16. We have here the identity of Jesus in relationship to creation now. First, Paul declares that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. Now, some teach that this statement means that Jesus was created at a point in time. Therefore, he had a beginning as a person. This is the heresy of Arian, of Alexandria in 288 AD, which the church refuted and labeled it heresy in 324 AD at the church council. This corruption of Truth twists the scripture to declare here that Jesus was a created being, an angel. The Jehovah Witness teach this, Michael, in fact. It's the same Arian heresy. It's wrong. Jesus is God. He's already made that statement. Now he moves on to show his relationship to creation. Notice the word firstborn. It can mean priority in time or supremacy in rank. The context will always help us to determine the meaning. Now, the word in our context can only be interpreted to give emphasis to the supremacy of Christ, seeing Paul has already declared him to be what? God. The statement is in contrast, a contrast of Christ to creation. Though the emphasis is supremacy of rank, it also presupposes his priority in time. For he always was, if he's God. The word is used in the Psalms as prophetic of the Messiah, a title defined the firstborn. Also, Exodus 4.22 is used, Israel, my firstborn. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 89.27, he says, Israel is my firstborn in Exodus 4.22, and I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. And it's used the same way there. Now, the place of importance over all creation separates Jesus from creation rather than placing him subject to it or part of it. He's distinct from it. He's creator. Philippians 2.9 makes it very, very clear. A name has been given to him above every other name that every knee shall bow or every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now notice secondly in verse 16, Paul declares that Christ was responsible for all creation. The word all in the Greek means what? All. No room for anything else, okay? All creation. Things that are in heaven, he says, that are on earth describing the location. Where do we have this record? Genesis 1 and 2. Heaven is everything above the earth. 
It includes all things in the first heaven. The first heaven is a space where the birds fly in our modern-day airplanes. It includes all things in the second heaven. That's the stellar heaven where the stars and the planets are. It includes the third heaven. Where's the third heaven? Where God dwells. By the way, Genesis 1 and 2 divides the first and second heaven. And the third heaven we get in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul was caught up to heaven. Then he says, earth, heaven and earth. Earth is everything that is found on it or in it. The men, fish, beasts, birds, the elements that compose the earth, the sea, the lakes, the mountains, the vegetation, name them off. The records in Genesis 1 and 2. Things that are visible. See, it's not enough. He keeps saying heaven, earth, visible, invisible. He is shutting every door of this false teaching. Things that are visible, invisible, describing the perceived quality. The visible on the earth and in heaven is evident and knowable by the perceived senses. Sight, taste, touch, hearing, and smelling. The invisible on earth and in heaven that are not evident or knowable and are non-perceivable by the senses is the spirit world. This morning, there are good angels and bad angels here. There's a warfare going on. We can't see it, but we know it's here. It's invisible. Notice a particular list of thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Without doubt, refer to the invisible order of angels that are listed by their ranks, both good and evil. We also have another list in Ephesians chapter 6. Literally, they are throne seats, government lords, first persons, or authorities. Jesus created them, Paul says. Therefore, they are not greater than he, but a creation of his, whether they are fallen or not. He makes this clear, chapter 2, verse 10. He says, and you are complete in him, and who's the head of all principality and power. He is the head of all, all principality and power. Verse 15, he says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public the spectacle of them, triumphing over them. That speaks about his descension down to Hades and then taking up those saved in his ascension. Verse 18, he says, let no one deceive you. Be your reward, taking delight in your humility of false humility of worship of angels, intruding into things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up in fleshly minds. He made them all, good or bad. Things in their totality are created by Jesus, therefore subject to him and not him, beyond him, apart from him, separate from him. Now, notice he says, through him. It refers that he was the agent or the channel of creation. God created all things by Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3, 9 says. Then he says, for him. This refers to the end. The purpose of the goal of creation, to serve his will and to serve him. Whether you like it or not, God created you to worship him. That's what he created you for. Now you can flow with it and enjoy it, or you can strive against it. It's your choice. Through Him, for Him. But there's one more aspect of it. By Him. You find that in the beginning of verse 16. But that's a bad translation. 
The better translation is, in Him, referring to the sphere of power for the creation. He is the source, He is the origin. Without Him, nothing came into existence, having their origin and continuance in Christ. John 1-2 tells us that. He is it. Pastor Xavier Reese and the source of all for all who seek Him. And he has more to share on this subject, so don't miss next time. Now, if you won't be able to join us, ask for a copy of Jesus, Creator and Sustainer of All. It's available on CD for only $4. And when you're through with your own study, you can pass on this lesson to a friend or loved one. Now, that title, once again, is Jesus, Creator and Sustainer of All. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us monitor our resources in your area. Do you have a big problem? Perhaps you need a big God. That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 